Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar Show. Uh, we're recording this today on Tuesday, March the 8th, and that is International Women's Day. So appropriately, we have uh, Nisha Long taking the hot chair today to talk about overperforming fund managers. And uh, it would be remiss if she didn't choose a female manager to focus on. Uh, so without further ado, uh, while Frank Talbot, Angus Foot and myself listen, it's over to Nisha. Thanks, Richard. Um, yes, today I want to talk about um, JP Morgan's Rebecca Jiang. Um, and she's a very talented manager in my eyes, and she manages a number of um, Chinese equity funds. And she's just come up to her five-year anniversary of managing funds in this area. So I thought it'd be good to focus on her um, for this um, podcast. Um, she has been consistently AAA rated since be first becoming eligible for a rating, which is back in July 2020. So just after the COVID pandemic really hit, um, well, the world and the markets. Um, and this is really a testament to her talent. She does co-manage her funds alongside Howard Wang, who's a veteran in this area. And the funds she manages alongside him are the JPM China Fund, the Greater China Fund, as well as the China A-Share Opportunities Fund. Two of the funds are massive. They're about $6 billion in size each, the JPM China, as well as the China A-Shares, while one of them is about $7 billion. Um, but the funds have been very popular with investors, um, especially in 2020. So just after, you know, the COVID pandemic hit, these funds were taking in huge amounts of money. So, you know, each quarter is around two to three billion was going into the JPM China Fund and the China A-Shares Opportunities Fund. Um, But since then, I have to say um, in 2021, in the second half, um, this has uh, regressed slightly because of the fall that we have seen in the real estate market um, in China, as well as the renewed US and China uh, tensions, and also you know the regulations that were put on in the tech sector out there, and they do have investments in this area. And um, but just to with the JPM China Fund, she's managed this for just over five years, and as I mentioned before, a very strong um, 2020 with performance double digits. Of, about 70% returns in US dollar terms. But in 2021, this did go down to negative returns, about 19%. But this was because of some real estate. So they do hold country garden holdings and also, you know, quite a few tech stocks in there, um, but still above their benchmark. So they've still beaten the markets, even though with the negative returns, they've still been able to protect on the downside compared to the market returns in China. Um, but they do have made some shifts in their portfolio um, and this should help going forward. Um, so overweight, they are overweight IT, which could have affected you know, their holdings, which has actually affected their holdings with regulations imposed on this um, in the IT sector. So to give you an idea, in um, January 2021, uh, the fund was 18.5% in IT, which is an overweight and their largest overweight position. But now this has fallen to just 6.1%. So they've really cut their holdings in this area. So scaled it quite heavily. And even in healthcare, they've reduced slightly in that area. It's a defensive area, but, you know, they were already, un- 
you know, slightly underweight there and also underweight financials. And they've reduced this as well um, by 1%. Um, so the fund at the moment, the way it is um, standing, it's on the defensive side. It does have an overweight in consumer staples, healthcare, utilities, and in real estate. And it is underweight in financials and consumer discretionary. Um, but with the consumer discretionary side, with economies opening up, and, you know, they're still catering for the upcoming middle class. So I think maybe, you know, a bit more in the discretionary side, you know, could benefit this portfolio. But um, as you may have heard in the news, you know, COVID cases are rising again in China. So maybe that's why the defensive stance is um, taken within this fund. Um, but, you know, they have you know very strong um, stock picking abilities, um, quite a few um initiations that Rebecca herself has done within the fund, like MyTuan, which they took up in last year. Um, it is a large fund. There might be some concerns of liquidity, but that's not an issue at the moment. The fund does have around 100 equity holdings, which is one of the largest it has seen. It's usually between 50 to 70. Um, so it is well diversified. And I have to say, this is an Article 8 fund in the EU SFDR. Um, I have to mention that because it is one of my bugbears that, um, you know, Article 8 funds, um, they do promote social and environmental characteristics, but it the sustainable investing isn't the core um, objective. But one of the things I do like about this fund is, you know, it's classed as a Article 8 and in a way, rightly so, because it doesn't have a lot of investments in state-owned companies. Now, if it did, that's that's where my issue would have been of why is this, you know, have ESG credentials. But um, the state ownership is, you know, very minimal in this so I think, you know, with the bottom up stock picking that they do, looking at the companies, you know, their fundamentals, I think, you know, in that in the line of those kind of areas that we're looking at, it's, you know, fits the bill. Interesting. I mean, there's all sorts of issues there, you know, the internal Chinese issues, looks like they're going to uh, sort of ease liquidity to try and get all of all these obstacles such as COVID, such as uh you know, trade relations, uh, and they have room for that. But then you widen it out a bit, and you look at China as, a, as an as an asset class, and emerging markets as an asset class, and where they stand in the in the midst of of this turmoil that we see in the world at the moment. I mean, Frank Angus, safe haven, or just going to get caught in the emerging markets downdraft? I think um, emerging market. It's now far too complex a universe, what we used to call the emerging markets universe, to, to, to make general statements. I mean, if you look at markets at the moment, everything is so volatile. The impact of energy prices and uh, commodity prices, all these kinds of things. Uh, who knows? Is this short term? Is it long term? It's very, very difficult to really uh, pick any uh, any meaningful conclusions out of that. A couple of things, though, struck me when Nisha was talking. Um, I know uh, the Article 8 thing I find interesting because I know, Nisha, from our conversations, it is something you feel very strongly about. So interesting that, that you uh, picked up on the fact that this um, portfolio is light on state-owned enterprises. Uh, there was a strong, there's been a lot of strong discussion at sort of senior level and asset managers around the, the um, ESG implications of what's happening with Russian assets. And, and several senior people have made the point that I've heard recently that the time to sell out of Russian assets on an ESG basis was months ago, not now. Uh, so taking an early view on these kinds of things 
it, it seems to me to be fundamental if you're going to talk about ESG and Article 8 or otherwise. But I was also going to pick up on something Nisha mentioned, um, the um, regulation in the tech sector, which has caused uh, some sort of negativity for China investors. And, and actually, just to prove that I also do some research, I've been, uh, I've been rereading some of our recent articles about Rebecca Zhang. Uh, in November of uh, last year, one of our colleagues on uh, CityWire Selector uh, quoted her as talking about previous surge in sort of regulator activity back in 2018, where a lot of computer gaming businesses were targeted and there was a kind of clampdown in that area. And she, she made the point that that passed and corporate fundamentals reasserted themselves. And she says that's something that will happen again, or they, as a management duo, they believe that will happen again. So I, I think there's always an interesting discussion to be had around China and, and in the other uh, significantly changing market. But for, for, for investors and for allocators, they've got to balance uh, the strong performance you might see from an individual manager or fund uh, and your overall view of what's happening in that country or market, where it's heading. And, and I think that's the dilemma that people sometimes face in, in emerging markets. And, uh, and, and you know, China's a great illustration of that. But if, if Rebecca Zhang is right and the corporate fundamentals reassert themselves over the longer term, then, you know, happy days for people not investing a, not in a, China. Not a bad fun to be in, Frank. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point about corporate fundamentals. I mean, I just, coming back to Richard's earlier earlier question about whether or not they're going to get caught in the emerging market sort of downturn is that the, the index that this fund tracks is 45% off its high from February 21 to, to now. This, the market is well in a bear market. Even the A-share market, of which this fund definitely has sort of 20 30%, that's now in, in bear market territory. So a lot of value, you know, persists. These are all pre-pandemic levels for these these stock markets um it it, it remains to be seen how how you know how much further there is to fall but if you're listening to a lot of people today obviously as angus says it's so changeable at the moment highly volatile you know you talk to a fund manager today and ask them what they think is going to happen in 12 months time and really it is it's finger in the air and 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 they really don't know and you know I, i don't think many of them would confess to to knowing what the future holds but something that presents that much value uh, as as China does is, is one thing. Interestingly, China's sold off more aggressively than um, the US, for instance, since the invasion began. I wonder whether that's sentiment towards possibly tensions with China rising, as Nisha highlighted, or whether it's just a case that um, pe- pe- people people now now turning to China after Russia and saying you're clearly in bed with them and and we don't want to have anything to do with that. But fundamentals, hopefully, uh, will out here. And you will see investors gravitate towards them. Jeffrey Gundlach came out this morning and said you should be selling your U.S. equities in favor of emerging markets. Popular trade. Uh, he, he was also, you know, pretty, pretty negative about 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 quite a lot of things today, saying that the Fed's about to start raising rates into a recession. I'm not saying now's the time that you should be you should be making investment decisions. Uh, it says it's the first time we've raised rate. The Fed will have raised rates going into a recession. So that is that's quite a statement because they have to. They've got no other option. Jeffrey Gundlach is a very talented man, Frank, but bond manager says sell equities. <laughs> well, he said he said sell certain equities and buy other equities. He yeah. wasn't he wasn't he wasn't retreating into to other fixed income. So uh, I yeah, no, my point yeah. was he, he has rather less skin in the game. 
I'm I'm sure I'm sure he's got some skin in the game uh, with his with his personal assets. He can't just be invested in a fixed income. But I I hear what you're saying, Angus. I'm not entirely sure he was talking up his own book. He was pretty frightened by uh, by the whole situation. Sure, as, as many sure. Are. That was as, slightly, flip, as, slightly flippant. No, 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 no. I guess I guess it goes to the bigger point, doesn't it, about the kind of blizzard of opinion and information we're getting at the moment, and you know when markets are so volatile and the future is so unpredictable. It, it, it's kind of hard to pick out who you should listen to and who you shouldn't. Yeah, uh, and yeah absolutely. I, I also don't. I don't think the US is going to fight a battle on two fronts, or the West that they're not going to go for China as a massive trading partner when you've got such a big dislocation going on in energy markets. Yeah, uh, and with inflation where it is, I think China will be left alone, and I think that possibly might be one of the reasons it's been sold down so aggressively. Yeah, I mean all sorts of things. I mean. Once again, we're recording this on March the 8th, International Women's Day. It won't be published on then, so, you know, health warning, everything might have changed by the time you, 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 you listen to this. Uh, but we did have an interesting piece on CityY yesterday from Rory Green of TS Lombard, their China expert. Uh, and he says, you know, there's a lot of hot air that uh, we'll have another trade war and that uh, China will take this as a signal to invade Taiwan because it can. Uh, and he said neither are likely. He said, in fact, he thought the chances of them invading Taiwan are less now as a result of, you know, they've seen what the West is prepared to do uh, when someone invades another country. Uh, they are being sort of wooed by the Americans to, to boycott uh, Russian tech uh, and, you know, make the world safe for semiconductors wherever they're... Uh, wherever they're uh, manufactured. Uh, but again, this could have changed by the time you hear all of this. So uh, don't take any of this as, as advice. Frank, you're about to say something. You look poised. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the short-term ramifications of what's going on at the moment are, are colossal. But long-term, the picture for China as you know, global manufacturing, industrial hub, huge consumer population, that's not that's not going away. That's not changing. And this, these markets have performed very poorly, even going into this moment uh, for for ten years. So, it, it is still an exciting opportunity. I know I say that quite a lot on on this podcast, but um, if you don't have an allocation to China, it seems like it seems like an oversight. And on, a, I'd just like to chip in also on on the sort of the human level. Uh, listening to Nisha's description of the the duo running this fund. The idea of a younger, talented manager with new ideas and um, and a bit of dynamism and a wise old head alongside in a more experienced manager is, uh, to me, the ideal combination. Yep. Uh, interesting. Bailey Gifford have the same, have a combo, a male-female combo on their China funds, and they seem to be doing rather well. So, appropriately, on International Women's Day, that... Let's hear it for female fund managers. And let's hope that by the time Nisha does her next alpha female report, the uh, the time we foresee getting to parity is down. What is it at the moment, Nisha? 120 years? Or? Um, no, it's, it's a lot more than that. It, it, it did come down from um, 200 years, um, slightly down. I can't remember the exact figure, but I've probably erased it from my mind because it's so appalling. It depends. Whether, <laughs> so... From, from memory, it depends whether you look at the most recent rate of change or the longer term rate of change. So there's a kind of there's a certain certain selectivity on what number you you, yeah. you pick. But it was definitely over 120 years. Yeah, still a century away, and yeah, might not be a life. Well, definitely won't be a life. <laughs> we won't see it. 
Oh, you never, you never know. Cryogenics might have kicked <laughs> in, and we'll be doing this podcast uh, in a frozen state in a century's time. Uh, so, on, on that sort of rather strange endpoint, we'll wrap up. Uh, thank you, Nisha, for that analysis. Thank you, Frank and Angus, for joining me today. And uh, we will see you when we're out with our next episode. Thank you.